Okay, good evening, everyone. It's so good to see you all again on week number three. Um, I hope that your prayer lives are being enriched. Thoughts, um, things you've been meditating on in prayer time, practicing the different principles of prayer. Has anyone um, taken a risk this week and prayed for anyone that's been unwell or sick? Hands up. It's amazing, amazing. Well done, guys. Excellent. That's wonderful, guys. That's wonderful. That's really awesome. Tonight, am I loud enough? I just want to check because I don't sound that loud, but I don't have to be loud. Okay. I just don't want to strain my voice. I do um, apologize about the coughing. If I um, cough a bit, I'm going to have to hold my voice back a bit. <laughs> I'll always take prayer. I've been praying also. Um. So we're going to talk tonight about intercession. The first two weeks were about the principles of prayer, which really also translate into intercession to praying for people in like a one-on-one -on -one setting. We're going to talk about what is intercession now, what is standing in the gap. It's really good to kind of define these things because sometimes we walk with the Lord for so long and we're so used to the Christian words that we throw out and we don't actually kind of know what they are. If someone had to say define that without using the word, and you're like, but it's that. <laughs> so we're going to look at what intercession is. But I want to start with a key idea. And I'm just going to kind of put an introduction forward with an idea. Um, and the idea is God reveals mysteries and secrets to his friends who will faithfully respond with intercession and action. God desires to share mysteries and secrets and revelation with his friends who will hold that dearly and through intercession and action execute his plans upon the earth. Okay. So has anyone heard of Reese Howells? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> he was one of the most well-known intercessors of our time in the last sort of 100 years. And he had a Bible college in Wales called Swansea Bible College. There's an autobiography written about him um, uh, called Reese Howell's Intercessor. Uh, really good if you're wanting to learn more about intercession. It's a really good autobiography about him. And he was around in World War II. And during that time, the Bible college was, was, was open. But there were obviously a lot of um, men that were conscripted into the military at that time. They still kept the Bible college open, but they devoted a large amount of their time to prayer and intercession. Um, I just know the Norman grab one. Yeah. Very good one. Mm. And it is available online also. There is an electronic copy of it. So... He used to call his Bible school to pray for about five to six hours a day. They'd take dinner around, well, they'd go into intercession during World War II, particularly around seven o'clock at night after having classes during the day and, and go right through to sometimes 12 o'clock. Um, and he was often recounted by students as, as, as saying, you know, we should experience, sh why should we experience any more freedom in this war than our dear brother, brothers fighting by land and sea and air? And he'd say, as, uh, as they went into times of deep in intercession, he would say, don't allow those young men at the front to do more than you do here. 
So many high-ranking officials in the Allied armies acknowledged how often the victories of World War II, and especially the miracle of the evacuation of Dunkirk, um, were only by divine assistance. Even Winston Churchill said, when Reese Howells and his intercessors are praying, we win. So if you look at the miracle of Dunkirk, I mean, in his book and, and other, these other Christian accounts where they, they go into that miracle of the evacuation of Dunkirk. And on, on May the 24th, 1940, Hitler gave an order that halted a column of armored tanks and military vehicles from approaching the soldiers that were stranded, over 300,000 of them, on the beaches of Dunkirk. And it seemed like the Hitler's biggest military blunder. And the reason that he halted that military procession of armored tanks and soldiers is quite unclear and is left unexplained really till this day. But that two or so day window actually enabled civilian boats to approach that beach and rescue those soldiers. The miracle continues because um, the sea was so calm that day that those smaller civilian boats could reach the beach. And it had been calmed because there was a massive storm that had preceded it also that had um, grounded all the German pilots and their um, fighting planes from flying overhead and bombing these smaller boats out of the water. There were accounts where um, Reese Howells would go into intercession and the, the Lord would show him strategies that Hitler was using, plans of the, of the enemy. They would pray in such a way as to kind of thwart the plans of the enemy before any news channels or anything like that. Obviously, they, it took a lot, a lot longer for things to get onto the news and into the paper, but they would pray in a way that thwarted the enemy plans and strategies even before they came into the public realm. What does a Bible school teacher know about winning a war? Very little, probably, unless he's divinely informed by a very large God. So I wanted to also share a dream with you, and it, it kind of is, is framing what I'm setting us up for this evening about intercession. And beginning of 2020, the Lord took me into a dream the one night where I saw, I was shown um, the principalities and powers that stood beside tyrannical leaders in history like Saddam Hussein, um, Hitler was in the dream, and, and but the spirits that were behind them, influencing them, and the Lord showed me that over the next couple of years, this was starting in 2020, we're going to go into many, many years in which these tyrannical rulers and kings are going to re-emerge to create havoc on the earth, and we're seeing a lot of that now. I also was shown many battleships, and the Lord said there's going to be many battleships sort of, um, of, of the church um, engaging the enemy forces. I saw my husband on one. My, my husband is really called into a kingdom business role, and he was on one. I was on another battleship, and, and my task was really there is to, to get people dressed for battle to clothe them through intercession and prayer, teaching them about that, to get them ready to go onto the battlefield. And so that's really, really where we are now. Um, we're seeing nations rage against nation. And just like a Reese Howells was raised up in a Swansea Bible College with an um, absolute understanding of intercession and forging in that area to 
thwart the plans of tyrannical leaders in World War II. We're seeing the same emergence of intercessors and an awakening in the bride for intercession even now. Are you hearing the call? Are you? If you look at Abraham was a friend of God, and when you look in Genesis 18, the account of when God just came to chat to Abraham with two others, and the two others moved on, and God lingered back. And he said, you know, should I, I wonder if I should tell my friend Abraham about what I'm going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham, obviously deliberately the Lord kind of said this, and Abraham overheard it. And it prompted that divine revelation, that divine insight, prompted Abraham to go into intercession for Sodom and Gomorrah, which, um, which resulted in two angels actually going into the city and rescuing Lot and his family. We're talking about God wants to reveal mysteries and secrets and divine revelation to his friends who will faithfully intercede and act for him on the earth. If you think about 2, th two Kings 6 verse 12, the king of Ar Aram was um, so convinced that he had a traitor in his midst because Elisha was getting divine downloads and strategies and insights about the king, about his battle plans, and things like, like that. And um, actually, it was Elisha, the prophet, who the Bible says, you know, was being told of what the king speaks about in his chambers. Now you go into John 15, verse 15, where Jesus says, I've never called you servants, because a master doesn't confide in his servants, and servants don't always understand what the master is doing. But I call you my most intimate and cherished friends, for I reveal to you everything that I've heard from my Father. And so, friends, I want to further, I know some of us are persuaded, I want to further persuade us that there are realms of knowledge and understanding, divine solutions, um, key wisdom for this hour that he wants to download to you and me, to anyone in the body of Christ who will faithfully intercede with it and act on God's behalf. Do you, it's for everyone. Okay. The key is faithfulness here also. Faithfulness and a desire to walk in it. If you think about the parable of the talents, where one was given ten, one was given five, one was given one. It's interesting that God knew who to give the one talent to. He knew the one who he would only give one to, who wasn't going to be faithful with it and produce anything with it. And he knew the one who was going to be super faithful because he actually gave him 10 to begin with. So if we are faithful, God will give us more. And revelation is like talents. You know, talents aren't only your time, your treasures, your giftings. and the, Actually, revelation, his voice, what he has made known to you is something to be faithful with too. So that's my introduction. Okay, be convinced that God wants to download revelation, insight, battle plans, strategies, wisdom for this hour that is not only going to be useful in the church building on a Sunday, but is going to solve real world problems and save lives. Okay, so in the Old Testament, look at intercession in the Old Testament. Let's look at Isaiah 56 where it talks about salvation for the foreigners. I won't read the whole passage, just encourage you to read it for the sake of time. My introduction was way too long. Um, 
it says in verse, um, let's go to verse 6. And the foreigners, that's the Gentiles, who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of, of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. This was unbelievable to think of for Gentiles to have their sacrifices and offerings accepted, okay? Um, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. So there is something, you know, when God has always known how he wants his house. From the tabernacle to the temple, he gave specific instructions. And when he says he wants a house of prayer, it's like a, a, it's a mandate to the church. It is an identity. It's a function of the, the church, how she should see herself. We need to understand what a house of prayer means and what it looks like. That Hebrew word for prayer is the word tefillah. And it's quite a commonly used um, word, Hebrew word for a prayer in the Old Testament. It means intercession, supplications, prayers that go out through worship or hymns. They are prayers that are set to music and sung. The Hebrews like to sing their prayers. And this is what's so important, you know, is that, so when he says this, like, that my house be a house of prayer, you know, he's actually saying also that intercessory praise is such a key path where we actually, through worship, sing our intercessions, sing our petitions, make our decrees. It's, so, it's, a, it's, an, it's an important part of how he wants his church to function. The root word for that tefillah is polal, which means to judge, uh, to think, to entreat, and to intervene or interpose. If you just think of that for a moment, so I'm saying the root word for prayer is to think. It also means to, like, it comes from the root to think. Remember I said no one brain cell prays, that the activity has got to engage our mind. It's like mindful communication with the Lord. Nothing is just glib and um, quickly said. It's thought out. It's um, Part of that word is also to judge, to evaluate, to assess, to look at something, not from the first heaven, hey, from the third heaven, to entreat, priestly petitions, to intervene or interpose. And I had to look up what interpose was too. Um, To put something or someone between two people, groups or things, especially in order to stop them doing something. (coughs) This... this, um, this mandate, function, identity of being a house of prayer was so important that Jesus, uh, when he went to the temple and he made a whip, he plaited a whip and he drove out everyone from the, te- from the temple. And he quotes, uh, he, s- he actually quotes that scripture from Isaiah 56. And he says, you know, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers so important that even Jesus came back to emphasize his father's words. And I was thinking about this and prepping this week. It's so funny that (coughs) Jesus had to drive people out of the temple for them to regain an understanding of what the temple is. 
And like COVID, we had to get out of the building to understand what is the function of it? What is the function of the bride? A house of intercession. So um, it's a house of intercession, a house of intercessory worship, a body of believers who interposition themselves between the Lord and the world or the people around them. A house of intercession that becomes a house of intervention. Remember that other, the root word was also intervention. So as we intercede, we provide a space for the Lord to intervene. If you look further at the Hebrew pictograph, the original Hebrew language was a bunch of pictures. Has anyone ever looked at anything from the Hebrew pictograph language? Basically, it's like 24 letters, um, and it's all um, 24 pictures. Okay, before and as the pictures evolved, they became letters, and even the letters sort of morphed and changed a bit. But they would choose common, ordinary, everyday pictures in their language, and words would be put together with different pictures, everything from a mouth, a door, a snake, water, and those common pictures would be put together and form words which would form sentences. So if you look at this beautiful word for prayer, tefillah, in the Hebrew pictograph, and you read it from right to left, that's the way that, that you read it, you have the first word is tav, tav which actually, amazingly enough, is um, depicted by a cross made by two sticks, and its meaning is a mark or a covenant seal. God hid his name, Jesus, the mark of the covenant who would die on the cross in the original Hebrew pictograph. Uh, the next word is pay, and that is the picture of a mouth, and it means to speak or to utter something. The next um, picture is yot, which is depicted by a hand, normally the hand of God, which um, comes down and it, it uh, refers to the hand of God working, supplying, providing, things like that. The next um, picture is Lamed, which is the image of a, stiff st uh, a shepherd's staff. And the word means to guide, to protect, to move forward like a shepherd would guide, move forward and look after a sheep and teach them. The last picture is a picture of a person with their arms raised. Okay, I've obviously just let me, these are Google pictures, but <laughs> so Google pictures weren't around then. They would literally be sort of a basic pictures with sort of, you know, that would look like these things, okay? Hey is the last picture, and it's the picture of a person with their arms raised. And if you find the letter, the Hebrew letter, um, hey, at the end of a word, um, it normally means, behold, what a great sight, what a great revelation. Like, you would put your arms up and go, wow. Okay. So, so this is the word for tefillah. For prayer. And if you go now quickly through it, the people of God marked with the covenant seal who open their mouths to speak to him. The hand of God then comes down to intervene into the world. He works like a shepherd looking after the sheep. Behold, what a great revelation. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes I love the fact that, you know, a picture says a thousand words. The simplicity of going back to this is how God wants it, Abraham. Moses, Noah, to understand prayer. And sometimes, even I'm guilty of it myself, we think maybe it's a little bit more complex. We need to, you know, complicate things and add some spice to it. But in its simplicity, 
when the people of God open their mouths, the hand of God comes down like a shepherd. He works on the earth. And behold, what a great revelation. But the other thing that stands out to me is that, oh, by the way, what I, I won't go into it now, but if you look at 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14, which we all know. Okay, we've all heard it. Angus Buchan, <laughs> favorite scripture. Um, if you look at that and you look at the Hebrew pictures, that is an exact representation of that scripture. Which, yeah. So the simplicity of what prayer is meant to be, so simple a child could understand it, hey. It's also what stands out to me there is it's our responsibility. You know, there are a lot of wars going on right now. There are a lot of earthquakes, a lot of famines. There are a lot of hardship, a lot of high inflation. There is a lot of chaos and disorder. And there are a lot of prayers and moans and complaining going up from all walks of life, all religions. Some people who know God, some people who don't know God. But it is the primary responsibility of the people marked with the covenant seal to call on the hand of God. You see that? No other people group can call on the hand of God, that hand, that yot, like we can. It's our responsibility and our privilege. Lastly, what stands out to me with that, note the order, note the sequence of prayer, of intercession, okay, is that um, the people of God have to open their mouths and speak to the Lord. And that results in the hand of God coming down. Remember we said from week one, let's not get sort of fatalistic here or um, think that God just does everything he wants to do whenever he wants to do however he pleases on the face of the earth. But he waits for someone to pray. Okay, heaven waits for us to pray. Mark Batterson, I quoted that. It says, some expressions of God's power are activated only in response to his people's prayer. People have to open their mouths and the hand of God will come down. All right, it's, a, it's nice, hey? It's great seeing it in a different way. So the Hebrew word for intercession there, my house will be a house of prayer. In the New Testament, intercession, we're going to look at that now, okay? We'll go back to that scripture that we, we went to in the first week. 1 Timothy 2 verse 1, it says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So that word for inchuxes, inchuxes, I, I promise you I looked it up earlier, inchuxes, something like that, okay? It, it means intervention that is led by God, marking the intersection between heaven and earth, as it reflects the Lord's specific will. So it's inter intercession, supplications, petitions, or kingly intercession that brings about an intersection between heaven and earth in agreement with God's will so that God can intervene and establish his throne and governance upon the earth. Intercession leads to intersection, leads to intervention. Okay, the root word of that um, word for intercession in the New Testament means to strike or hit the bullseye, to be spot on. So it's actually used in classical Greek, it's the antonym of the word for sin, hamartia, which means to miss the mark. 
So that root word for intercession means to hit the bullseye, to be spot on, to strike the exact mark. So it's spirit-directed intervention. Um, it, sorry, it refers to petitions, intercessions of believers as they fall in line or into agreement with God's will. So the beautiful thing about intercession is it's redemptive, restorative, and accelerative. Sin means to miss the mark. What mark? We miss the mark of God's standard of holiness, of obedience, of whatever it is that he, you know, however our thoughts, behaviors, actions, choices should have been hit the mark and been in agreement with his will. When we sin, we miss that standard. We miss the mark. We are separated from whatever God's will was in that moment. But intercession comes to restore people back into agreement and into alignment with what God's standard was, what God's will was. Okay, so it's restorative, redemptive, and accelerative as in it moves people into their destiny, into their sanctification. If we look at a stunning example of how Jesus interceded for Peter in Luke, um, Luke 22, verse 31. I love this because I just put myself in this um, situation here. A friend of mine who's a very prophetic person, she says to me, um, she says to me, Wanda, I, I just can't get over incest. I've met so many of them now. You guys spend hours with the Lord. Like, I just, what do you talk to him about? <laughs> She's more of the prophetic, she'll get it and run with it. But I said, no, actually, it's not, the qu- it's not the quantity of time. It's the quality. It's about striking and hitting the mark. And when you, get, when you discern what the Lord's will is, actually breakthrough comes very, very quickly. But um, I, was, I was thinking about this, this story here. If I knew my child, we'll read it now, um, was going to fall off the wagon, if was going to get tempted by the tempter, whatever, I can think of so much that I'd pray for in that moment. Like lists of prayers, like I'd, you know, everything under the sun that I could think to pray for, backup plans, restorative plans, I would pray that probably. But let's see what, what Jesus does here with Peter. Luke 20, 22, verse 31. Um, Jesus speaking, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will will not crow this day until you deny me three times um, that you know me. So, you know, what you see here is Jesus had a divine download. He had divine insight from the throne room that the enemy the accuser went before Father God and asked, demanded actually, to have the disciples. Um, not just Peter, there's a plural there, like you all. And Jesus was aware of that. And what he did with that revelation, that you know, third heaven knowledge, so he went and he prayed. And he prayed, as I said, I would have prayed like, you know, just every kind of plan A, B, C, down to Z. He said, I prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail. It's like he just knew how to hit the mark. 
He just knew how Peter would fall, how, how he would miss the mark, how he would sin. <coughs> and he knew exactly what to do to restore him back to, back to his destiny, back to obedience, back into a righteous, loving, full, all-out relationship following Jesus. Isn't that amazing? So sometimes, as you move into intercession, you will get discernment will, will come. You'll get a lot of, as you show faithfulness, you'll start to get divine insight, divine revelation. God will start to possibly even show you how some people are missing the mark. But faithfulness looks like also caring, um, holding that sensitive information very carefully, being very sensitive with what the Lord shows you. If he shows you um, someone's mess-ups, if he shows you something that someone's doing in the dark, often it's not for public sharing. He's shown you, not so knowledge can puff up, but so that you know how to pray for him to meet the mark or her to come back into agreement with her will. It's never to degrade, disparage, criticize, become judgmental, um, just like Jesus did. It's always to actually enrich your prayer, to focus your prayer so that you, you know exactly how you are praying for that person to come back into agreement with his destiny, with her destiny. Does that make sense? And you will get, has, has anyone, I mean, just don't share, what, don't share what you've been shown, but has anyone ever had that where they've had discernment? They've had, like, you just know that someone's been involved in something, someone's got lost in something, something, okay. And often it's not to even share with that person publicly. But it's to hold very carefully, very, very sensitively in, in your heart, very faithfully in your heart, so that you know how to pray. I remember a few years ago, I was praying for um, a pastoral couple. The Lord had really said, you know, when you're an intercessor, um, you get assignments. Have you ever heard of that? Like uh, incessants here, like you'll find like I have an assignment. This season, I'm just, my heart and my mind are wrapped around this thing. I just can't let it go. And it's literally like a soldier's just got an assignment. And that's, you know, Holy Spirit's just bringing it to mind. He's giving you strategy. And you'll know when you can lay it down and there's a release or you see the breakthrough. And so this was an intercessory assignment, praying for a pastoral couple. Um, and the Lord had given me dreams about them. And he had actually shown me in a dream the preparation, the maturity that he's doing in this gentleman's life. And, um, and I shared it with him because, I mean, it was a redemptive dream. It was a restorative dream. It was a faithful dream. And he said to me in the dream, I'm giving him a breaker anointing. I'd never heard of a breaker anointing, actually. It, very interesting. Um, but that's what he said to me in the dream. And then a few months later, they were faced with a very big life-changing decision, life-shaping decision in the kingdom for God. Um, and D-Day came when they had to make the decision. They decided not to go in accordance with what they felt the Lord actually saying. They, they felt like the sort of path for them had changed. And I thought I was, you know, I didn't say anything to them actually. People around them were quite happy. They were quite supportive, you know. Um, but I went to the Lord. I said, Lord, I don't know how to pray now. I don't know. I'm getting confused. I don't know what's going on here. And the Lord gave me a dream where he showed me this gentleman refused to pay the full price for making the decision the Lord wanted him to make, that he refused to circumcise the flesh fully to walk into what God had showed him um, to do. I'm not going to share that with him, 
It's for me to pray. It's for me to hold in my heart. It, the Lord showed me to grieve. So I actually grieved with the Lord. I cried with the Lord. I, 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 it, it wrecked me, you know. But it was, it was showing me that so I could pray with more resolve, contending for him, you know, with cries and, uh, and resolve and will, you know, to see him restored and come back into agreement with as well. If you, what the Lord did uh, allow me to share with him actually was one day I was on a walk and I was praying uh, for this couple. And he said to me, go back to him and say to, say to him, why do you think I've given you a breaker anointing? And I said, well, first Lord, I'd like to know why you did. <laughs> Please can you answer that for me? And he said, um, you don't need a breaker anointing if there's going to be a red carpet laid out for you and an invitation waiting. You need a breaker anointing when you're going to go into a place and the road in isn't easy or obvious. And that's what I got to. I got to remind him of the, of the prophetic word and what God said he was going to give him to take him where he needed to go. I didn't have to share with him all the other stuff. I hope that's helpful for us. Helps to kind of, um, when you get these revelations, and you'll get more as you faithfully press in and insert, what do you share and what do you don't share? Okay. Can he trust you when it comes to interceding for the church? Man, we have to, it is such a sweet place with the Lord where you get to love his bride and, and pray and serve her on your knees. And you know what? Sometimes there will be times where he has to show you things, imperfections of his bride, not so we can be puffed up and I got this insight and critical or disillusioned or discouraged or, you know, judgmental, actually so that it would wreck our hearts that we'd grieve with the Lord. We'd see it from his perspective. But then we'd be all the more resolved and eager and hungry to see her hit the mark and walk in fully in her royal identity and the plans that God has for her. And can we hold that information like very tenderly and close to our heart? Can we guard our heart? We have to guard our heart as intercessors. Man, because you'll be shown stuff that could pull you down into a very dark place. But that's why it's all about, if, if he gives you the discernment, you say, God, what's the redemption? What's the restoration here? Because that's an incomplete sentence. The Lord, when he does it, he'll show you the discernment, but he'll show you the restoration too. And you wait for that. <coughs> I remember, just to share a story when, um, um, is, is this helpful? Is this translatable into practice? In sort of, okay. So um, I remember uh, sort of 2016, 2017. Now, I was not a news girl. I was like young kiddies. I could hardly find time to keep up with my WhatsApps, let alone read news and what was going on. And, you know, my life was very kind of small, preschool run, grocery run. This was my globe. And the Lord like kind of like wrestled with me and started to show me stuff and speak to me about other things going on in the world. And I had to actually... Um, get news apps on my phone and read the newspaper because sometimes the newspaper is like an intercessor's best friend to see your breakthroughs coming into the news. And uh, I remember the one day he gave me a dream where I was in SARS, the SARS office in Panta. And I'd been there before. I used to stay on Panta. I knew what it looked like. I was in the SARS office and this, the bottom floor of the SARS office, and it was so trashy. It was defiled. It was like a seedy bar. It was, it was corrupt. It was defiled. It was dirty. It was compromised. 
in other words. And I was taken up into an upper room and I saw an ungodly covenant, an ungodly marriage actually start, uh, taking place with um, a, law, a spirit of lawlessness. I want to be careful how I phrase because I'm being recorded. A spirit of lawlessness and political people going on. And I knew this was a lawlessness, it was the Antichrist agenda, and it was going to wreck the treasury. And so um, I had to come out of that dream, and I had to get informed about what was going on. You know, we have to, there is some, there is, although we don't pray from the first heaven, sometimes we need to get some intel, like a soldier would get some intel to inform your prayers on the ground. I had to find out what was going on, and this was actually the time where Gordon was um, in the treasury, heading up the treasury, and there was the um, state capture going on, and the Guptas, and everyone was trying to take over the finances. <laughs> and it was so interesting in that season, because um, you know I had a group of people praying. We owned that sort of intercessory assignment, and and then um, obviously there was like this weaponizing of the investigative agencies and the Hawks, and everyone was after Praveen Gordon. And he was trying to do his job, and he was under investigation, and he'd get um, hauled in, and all these allegations. And then we'd gather to pray, and the allegations would be dropped a few days later, and uh, everything would go back to normal. And then he'd be like, allegations again, and called in, and we'd pray, 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 and then nothing would stick. And it was a wild season, actually, uh, you know, seeing literally, you're reading in the newspapers what's happening in the world, but you know that you've seen from the third heaven this demonic agenda and this, this, this ungodly covenant that's been made and this lawlessness that's actually, we're not fighting against flesh and blood here and people here. We're fighting against a demonic agenda to take over the treasury. And I had to guard my heart against not getting critical, against not getting really the mood in with some people to pray from a seat of love and not being judgmental so that, you know, the, the Lord would receive my praise. <coughs> I, want to, um, I wanted to share um, another insight about lessons on intercession, but I think let's break now before going into the third one, and then um, we'll break for like 10 minutes, come back, and we'll do lessons on intercession from Exodus. Okay. While everyone's taking their seats with their coffee, I just thought I'd read you a, a testimony. If I can find it now, quick. Has anyone heard of George McCluskey? Okay. When George McCluskey married and started a family, he decided to invest one hour a day in prayer because he wanted his kids to follow Christ. After a time, he expanded his prayers to include his grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Every day between 11 a.m. and noon, he prayed for the next three generations. As the years went by, his two daughters committed their lives to Christ and married men who went into full-time ministry. The two couples produced four girls and one boy. Each of the girls married a minister, and the boy became a pastor. The first two children born to this generation were both boys. Upon graduation from high school, the two cousins chose the same college and became roommates. During their sophomore year, one boy decided to go into the ministry, 
The other didn't. He undoubtedly felt some pressure to continue the family legacy, but he chose instead to pursue his interest in psychology. He earned his doctorate and eventually wrote books for parents that became bestsellers. He started a radio program heard on more than a thousand stations each day. This man's name, James Dobson. But no one's heard of George McCluskey, who prayed for his family line an hour a day. And that's the thing about incestory prayer. Sometimes no one will know your name, but, and you'll see your breakthrough in the newspaper or on the television or in someone's life. But are we prepared to be like a George McCluskey that sacrifices time, energy, to see a breakthrough in others' lives? Other people go on to hit the mark of where God wants to take them. I love that story. All right. So, section three, lessons on intercession from Exodus 17, verse 8 to 16. And we'll go for 20, 25, 25 minutes, 20 minutes. Let's see. So, <coughs> excuse me. If you look at, let me open my Bible here. Exodus, if you've got a Bible on a hard copy or on your phone, Exodus 17. Verse 8 to 16. Let me, let me read this first. Um, verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel. Let me just contextualize this. They had just um, seen the miracle of the Red Sea opened up for them. They had left Egypt, um, been pursued by the Egyptian army, um, had the Red Sea opened up and on their way to the Promised Land now. Then Amalek came and fought with is Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men, go and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel pre pre prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the, the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now we can look at several, several lessons about intercession and intercessory worship and prayer from this um, scripture. So I'll just draw out a few here. But... Um, First of all, Amalek and the Amalekites. This was Esau's grandson, Amalek. He went on to um, be father of the tribe of the Amalekites. And they were the first army, first enemy army to attack Israel on their way to the promised land. My first point is the enemy will try to prevent God's children from entering your promised land. And the way to overcome him that Moses demonstrated is through intercessory prayer here. And we'll go into what that is. Our strength, endurance, effectiveness in intercessory prayer is supported by Jesus 
and the Holy Spirit. You see, Aaron in that picture, Aaron was the high priest. This is actually um, a beautiful depiction of how Jesus and the one arm, supporting our one arm, and the Holy Spirit help us to intercede. Aaron was the high priest, and who is our high priest now? Jesus. Her, her's name, if you look at it, actually means um, white, burning, or light. So he would be represent the Holy Spirit. So it's tip of us. So it's a beautiful depiction and illustration how Moses went up the mountain, left Joshua to go and fight. With both arms had to be raised, one supported by the high priest and other one by the Holy Spirit. And Israel, God's people, were able to overcome the enemy that would have stopped them getting into their promised land. Now, if we look at the role of the Holy Spirit and Jesus, and what are they doing now for us? They are. They're actually both interceding. We'll look at that now. So two-thirds of the Trinity are constantly interceding for us. What should our lives kind of look like? (laughs) But some of us just need to hear that tonight. Jesus and Holy Spirit are constantly praying for you. How special are you? Hey. They've got your back, even if you feel like no one else does. Romans 8, verse 26 to 27. I'll read it in the, in the true passion. It says, um, Paul says, And in a similar way, the Holy Spirit takes hold of us in our human frailty to empower us in our weakness. For example, at times we don't even know how to pray or know the best things to ask for, but the Holy Spirit rises up within us to super intercede on our behalf pleading to God with emotional sighs too deep for words. God, the searcher of the heart, knows fully our longings, yet he also understands the desires of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit uh, passionately pleads before God for us, his, his holy ones, in perfect harmony with God's plan and destiny. So it's like the Holy Spirit is looking for a vessel. He wants to intercede through you, through me, to the Lord. So he's interpositioning himself between God and us. He needs this vessel, though, through the, you know, speaking of tongues for his intercession, though. And as he intercedes through us, as we give him the use of this vessel to intercede, it says he's praying in perfect harmony with the plans and the purposes of God. And what's interesting, and I, I want to ask this question because I, I find it quite often after, has anyone gone into praying in tongues? Like, say you've been very confused or not know how to pray for something, and you've started praying in tongues, like, like really persistently for a little while, and you come away from that time, do you start to see things a bit clearer? I generally find that I have, I have one encounter that I, I know hands down because I was, I remember one time having such bad news, not knowing honestly, how to pray. And I think I've generally got a sense of direction about a take on things. And I remember being so confused about how to pray. So I didn't even know what to think here, Lord. I didn't even know how to respond here. And actually just saying, well, I'm just going to pray. And my husband was on the phone sorting something out. And for 45 minutes, I just sat and did dishes and prayed in tongues. And at the end of that, I came away and I felt like I saw things 2020. I knew exactly what to do. It was like the Holy Spirit had just been making intercession through me. And what is intercession again? 
It means to strike the mark, to hit the bullseye, to bring someone into agreement with God's will. It's like my thoughts, my feelings start coming into agreement with what God's plans and purposes is, with what His wisdom is and what He wants to see done. Once you let the Holy Spirit intercede through you. Okay, He needs the vessel. Romans 8 verse 34 says, Who then is left to condemn us? Certainly not Jesus, the anointed one. For he gave his life for us, and even more than that, he has conquered death and is now risen, exalted, and enthroned by God at his right hand. So how could he possibly condemn us since he, con he is continually praying for your triumph? Isn't that amazing? Like, we just need to hear that. He is Jesus is continually praying for our triumph. Hebrews 7 verse 35, it says of Jesus, He's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So you have this beautiful picture of Moses up on the mountain with the Amalekites and Israel having a battle below. Joshua's at the front there leading them out. And you have Aaron and you have her holding up hands. And we see in reality, this is a beautiful picture of how Jesus intercedes for us and strengthens us and helps us to endure and persist in intercession and how Holy Spirit lifts up our other arm and keeps us in that and intercedes through us and supports us in, in that. So we really, <coughs> excuse me, we cannot intercede with any degree of effectiveness and power and endurance without the Holy Spirit and without Jesus. And can I say further when I talk about Jesus, Jesus interceding for us, but we also intercede because of the blood. His death and his resurrection supports us, as we spoke about, you know, the altar of incense in the, in the, in the first session. Okay, so we do it in conjunction with, like, two of the three members of the Trinity there. It's a very powerful, very powerful action. Thirdly, Jesus fights our battles when we persist in intercessory prayer. It was interesting that Moses had to go up the mountain and put, uh, come into a position of intercessory praise, intercessory prayer, and Joshua was the one tasked to go fight the battle. Interesting, even, because Moses, you know, when he was younger, he thought that fight sometimes, uh, you know, the way to settle a dispute was to fight someone, and he was the one like, no, Moses, you're up the mountain, you need to learn how to pray, and you watch the battle, and Joshua was at the front. Joshua's name means the Lord saved. It's in the Greek, it's Jesus. Okay, so we see now, if we look at this depiction and, and, and look at it through the lens of our intercession, as we assume the position of intercessory prayer and praise, intercessory worship, Jesus fights on our behalf. And the extent when Moses' arms were raised and they were in consistent intercession, Israel prevailed. And when his arms came down, Amalekites pre prevailed. So we, we, we can see the direct link here. What's drawn out for us is this direct link between our consistency, our endurance, our persistence, our tenacity in intercessory prayer, and the result it has in terms of Jesus fighting for us. A few points on this. It is a spectacular example of man's efforts and God's power at work together. It is such a privilege. We mustn't forget that. Like, 
when you intercede and you stand in intercession at the intersection between heaven and earth and the hand of God coming to intervene, you're in this partnership that Jesus died to put you in. It's incredible. You're really operating in this identity, your authority, this identity of what it means to be co-heir with Jesus, like legitimate member of God's family at work here. It also shows us that prayer isn't always sweet and easy. Sometimes it can be hard work. Hey, sometimes we mustn't sort of glamorize it. Sometimes it's hard work. Sometimes you lose sleep. Sometimes it's not pretty. Also, I've been in, sometimes in the Holy Spirit, I mean, it's a whole nothing goes and you go into travail and you're crying and there's snot and there's tears and there's big ugly sobs and it's not easy and you are wrecked, you know, after that. And some, so it's not, it's not always sweet and easy. Paul said of um, Epaphras in um, Colossians that he's always struggling on behalf, on your behalf in his prayers. I see that it is consistent intercessory prayer from this story, supported by other believers that can save lives, win battles, and fulfill promises. Consistent, guys. Sometimes, honestly, I believe that prayers, we don't see breakthrough because we stop too soon. Because, you know, perseverance must finish its work. There's something of a, this perseverance element in intercessory prayer, where we're building on the prayers of former generations and someone's going to take over the baton and they're going to see the breakthrough. And are you okay just running the race and not seeing the breakthrough? This thing of perseverance, consistent, persistent intercessory prayer, supported by other believers, Jesus, Holy Spirit. But sometimes also we spoke about the principle of agreement and the power of agreement. I remember one time where I was, um, the Lord had given me some downloads. We talked about, you know, God wanting to reveal mysteries and se secrets. And I I was kind of like in that shock phase. I was still, okay, I'm just getting it. I'm just I'm meditating on it, Lord. I'm trying to understand what you're saying to me here so I know how to pray. And I knew it was big. It was a big issue because I had so much demonic resistance come at me, both in the physical and in the spiritual. Um, it was probably unlike anything I'd ever experienced up to that point. And I really was like, wow, the enemy does not want this information coming down to earth for people to start praying. Um, and I remember I walked into church the, the one day, and a friend of mine who's also a prayer warrior, she came up to me and she said, Candice, I don't know what's going on, but I was working up last night in the middle of the night, and I just saw your name, and I just knew I needed to pray for you. So I've been praying for you, and I'm just going to carry on praying for you. And I could tell her, well, look, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to make sense of this thing. I appreciate, like, spiritual backup just came. My arms went up a little bit higher for a little bit longer. And that same morning, another friend of mine actually came up and he said, Candice, I don't know what's going on in your life, but I had a dream about you where you were kidnapped by an enemy and he was trying to silence you. So I said, well, actually, you know, I'm... I'm received something from the Lord and I'm trying to, you know, pray it and make sense of it. So that's probably spot on. And he said, well, I've been praying for you. I said, please stop, carry on, carry on. And I was able to sort of, you know, um, help guide him and, and how he can pray. But I felt so blessed. It was like God just sent in spiritual backup. And I've, I've been spiritual backup for others sometime. But it's this beautiful example of like, maybe for that time, I was the, 
the if you can imagine like I have a picture of an American football game and I was the one that got the ball and my teammates were like around me dishing out the opposition to help me get over the touchline there and it's the beautiful thing about in inter intercession the last point there is um you know, the story shows us that often life and death for God's people can come down to Christian's praise. Really, life and death can sometimes come down and hinge upon Christian's praise. And this week, um, I heard a testimony. My husband um, has been interacting, actually mainly through business, but with a person who heads up an anti-trafficking agency, anti-human trafficking agency up in, up in Joburg. And um, we we pray for her um, for the um, for what what she's doing, and um, they'll often let us know when there's raids, when they're going into pimp houses, and um, you know, so we can spend that time praying and um, just sort of key ele elements of the investigation and the re rehabilitation processes that some of these children have to go through. And she was telling um, him a story of in one of their raids of a pimp house. Um, where they went in, and she's obviously got her prayer team. This was be before we had come on. She has her prayer team praying while they go in. And they went in, and they didn't find any children. And then she gets this message come through on her phone, and one of her prayer warriors is in intercession, standing in between the Lord and the situation here for these kids. And uh, she said, I've just had a vision. There is a door, a secret door under the stairs. And you, you can't leave that house without looking for this door. And this is what it looks like. And so they found the door. And they opened it up. And it was like the house expanded even further. They didn't realize it went so far back from the outside. And that's where they found the kids. Amazing. I don't know if anyone's read um, Spiritual Intelligence by Chris Vallotton, but in the book, him and Dan McCollum and Chris Vallotton, they, they've started using their prophetic gift to track down missing persons. They, um, Dan McCollum works with police um, departments that deal with, obviously, missing persons, human tra trafficking, and they'll get some intelligence, well, they'll get information about what the missing person is, where they were last seen. And they'll go to their intercessory team, their prophetic team, and they'll, they'll ask the Lord for key details of those people. Um, and they've had lots of these downloads come, these secrets of heaven that the Lord has given them in their times of prayer that have led to the finding of these missing people. Intercessory prayer solving real-world problems. Because intercessory care can actually save people's lives. There was this another example, this um, lady um, that we pray for up in Joburg. She was saying that she was trying to investigate. Uh, there was a certain pimp that she wanted to investigate and trying to break into his network and ring and all of that. And they never go by their real names. They've always got their sort of handle street names. And um, so she sat there the, the one day, you know, in prayer saying, Lord, Please, I, I need this. Like standing in the gap for these, for these girls, for these kids, and she was praying, and and his real name came to her in that prayer time, like immediately, first name, last name. She put it into her database, and his whole network, affiliates, associates, opened up. She went back to the police that that she works with, and they said, "How did you get this information?" Like they they were so baffled at how they'd actually got it. Yeah. 
someone very high up told her. Hey. So that's, that's really what I want to share. I want to share maybe, I've got two minutes left. Let me share. I want to really just, I'm sharing this, just some of my own journey, other people's breakthroughs in this, to, because, friends, it is, it is a real legitimate, let me say, calling. It's more than a calling. It has to involve action, but it's a ministry. There are, there are real, this is a real part of the body of Christ that God wants to awaken in this day. Like Reese Howes did in World War II. And the days ahead are, are you know, you read Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. It's not going to be a walk in the park. But he has overcome the, the world. Um, recently, um, I had a dream. Actually, before Russia invaded the Ukraine, it was about a month before. <coughs> and I saw, I saw, um, the Jews. I saw Israel, a bunch of Jews in my dream, and they were um, dressed in white hazmat suits. And I knew, word of knowledge in the dream, I knew that there was this gas leak that had occurred. And I knew Israel had the answer to this gas leak. Now, I thought, okay, this gas leak can also be like a spirit, you know, it can be like a d demonic spirit that's going out. But um, it was definitely to do with the gas leak. Israel had the answer, and they were, I saw this field in front of me, and there were these lines of Jews, like going to a concentration camp, like going to the gas chambers. That sort of image that you get from those, those photos of them just, you know, being led like sheep to the slaughter. And I saw these machine guns come down from the heavenlies, and, and they just went through these fields and just started shooting and just started annihilating these people. You know, sometimes you get dreams like this and it can scare you. And was so so I knew I had to pray for them. I knew it was something to do with gas was an issue here. What's so interesting now, Russia invaded the U Ukraine here. We can see obviously that um, Russia's supply of gas as well as many other things. Uh, the, it's a massive problem for the EU now, not wanting to buy Russian gas. And now Israel in recent years has, I'm learning all of this, you see, I have to, I have to get my first heaven understanding too. Israel have found massive supplies of natural gas off their coastline. And they're selling it off really cheaply. Um, I think Allah said it was like a third of the price of Russian gas. And Israel's like the you know, the EU are very, very happy about this possible solution now with Israel to this gas shortage. So I'm watching, I'm reading these news, and I'm thinking, this is like an unfolding of this dream. But what's interesting, I'm just sharing this with you because it's also something for us all to end, we should all be praying for is, is Israel. That it's interesting now to see that the alliance of um Ezekiel 38, Ezekiel 36, 37, 38, the battle of Gog and Magog and the Prince of Rosh that's going to be drawn by a hook by the Lord to make war against is Israel. And if you read that Ezekiel 38, it's really a battle about, um, it's not a religious battle, it's not an ideological battle, it's actually a war that's going to be around booty, about see the, like material stuff, some sort of possession that they want to seize. So, Friends, I'm just telling you this because this is like real-world problems, 
And I know it's not just me getting these downloads. I know there are many others in the body of Christ that would have Ukraine-Russia insights, uh, whatever's going on with the immigration crisis, all these different things around the globe. But I, I'm sharing the story so that we know that the Lord wants to awaken us in this area. Our prayers in this part of the globe can impact what is happening in other parts of the globe here, especially as we approach the rapture and the tribulation here. So I, I'm praying for Israel. I want to in, invite you to join me that you know we can't pray away the tribulation. We can't pray away the battle of Gog Magog. But we can pray that Israel turns to Jesus very quickly. We can pray that there be no loss of life, that casualties, that harm would be minimal. We can pray for the Lord to intervene in those ways, knowing what Scripture says too about the end times. Okay, so uh, yeah, I really want to encourage you. Um, you might say maybe globally it's just too big right now. Maybe it's just for family and friends. That is an amazing thing to give your life to. And God will speak to you about those people. God will speak to you about schools. God will speak to you about businesses. Maybe God will speak to you about the nations of the world and what's going on there. He knows best which assignments to give to which people. And it is such, again, a privilege and a responsibility to avail ourselves to the Lord in this last hour for this intercession to see that we can really be the house of prayer that God wants us to be. Amen. All right, can we pray? Can we all, I suppose there might be one or two questions, but uh, then I'll close in prayer. Comments or questions? Yes. Paul says, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Sometimes it's a, ah, you say, a, a, almost like a schizophrenic experience that we have as Christians. Hey, <laughs> We go from re rejoicing to sorrow, and, and sometimes it's at the same moment too. When I have like that weightiness, like, you know, that just even a sense of foreboding or dread, you feel like, yeah, or sometimes, honestly, it'll just hit me like, I just need to pray. I don't know why. I feel, just feel the Lord calling me. I mean, I'll go in obedience, and sometimes those are very time-sensitive things, friends. Like a burden will hit you, but it's very time-sensitive, and I want to encourage you not to leave it like till you get home at 8 o'clock at night after the kids have gone to bed. Sometimes it is about, you know, Report for duty now. <laughs> now. Find a bathroom somewhere or start interceding in the car. And um, sometimes I found those burdens are quite timely and time sensitive. And I'd go into, um, I often, this is just me personally, I find going into praying in tongues first um, for quite a while. And then I might get a scripture to pray into. I might get vision. I might get a dream later when I go to sleep at night. But sometimes I just get a, I need to pray. And I'll go let the Holy Spirit intercede through me. And then, um, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'll pray till I feel a re release. Till I feel a release. Till I feel, actually for me it feels like, almost like just an assuredness that God is operating. That the an angelic have been sent um, a, a hopefulness. It's almost like a hopefulness and an assurance that we've done what I needed to do. The baton was passed. I passed it on and it's done. Does that make sense? Yeah. Anything else? Clarify, comment. 
Yes. Yes. Can everyone hear you? Okay. Do it properly, Greg. I <laughs> <laughs> had a principal's voice on there. Time-sensitive nature of those burdens when they come upon you, don't leave it. Even if you don't know what you're praying, pray in tongues. That is highly, highly effective. You're praying the will of God in those situations. And faithfulness, if you've done it once and you were faithful, you'll find that it starts to increase more and more and more. Okay. It's a great story. Amazing testimony. Anything else? Hmm. Takes you into your promised land. So important. So good, guys. Thank you for those testimonies. All right, I'm going to close in prayer. Okay. Mm, okay. It's such a good question. The Greg's absolutely right. I mean, it, it is, as we said, like two-thirds of the Trinity are interceding. Jesus is our model in everything, and he is interceding for us. The life he lived on the earth, he went away to desolate places, you know, he was the model of, of prayer and in communion with the Father and um, praying for the disciples, praying for us. The high priestly prayer in John 15, John 16 is exquisite of his heart for us. So <coughs> intercession as in interposing yourself between God and your family, your school, your business, your nation, your community, your government, your leaders is for everyone. Okay. And, and can I just add to that? And I think, you know, there's a whole bunch of reasons why we need to pray for the government. But I think very high up on that reason, God knows whatever you pray for, you build an affection for. You can't pray for something or someone and not actually start to develop an affection. You will not be able to criticize the government if you pray for them. It'll be very hard. I dare you to try. So, but, but there is, I would say, in the Bible, there, there is people who, who get more... Um, we're looking now like prophetic intercession. They'll get intercessory assignments. They'll like um, Elisha, kind of that, I knows what the king says in his chambers. They'll get that um, special knowledge. But I'm not saying the special knowledge is only for certain people. I mean, it can come for everyone. People who know people who are about to be hijacked and held up. Um, but there are people that maybe that's more of a designation um, for, for them in terms of, you know, where God wants them in the body. Um, it does involve more time, uh, more, you know, things like that that other people just don't have. But intercession, my house will be a house of prayer. And we realize that it's actually a house of intercession, a house of intercessory worship. Does that make sense? Great question. Yes, Melinda. Vulnerable. So we don't want to go, so we don't want to go up for next week. Thank you. <laughs> Next week, we're going to look at um, like looking at your community, um, curses upon land, iniquity upon different places, and things like that. But there will actually be places you deliberately have to go and stand and deliberately have to go apply the blood to because there's curses upon those specific places. But lots of um, fun, adventurous stories of what we did in our community um, up in Hillcrest with closing down shops and places that shouldn't be there. But in terms of feeling afraid to go to certain places, I would say we should never be afraid like that. You might, I don't know if they're thinking about, they might get more atmospheric resistance 
Um, it might be, you know, there might, but to be honest, I haven't, we've pulled down altars and we've managed to pray in those places fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would say it might, it might be coming from, I mean, yeah. 